Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, we kicked off the new year in a new series. Um, Andy kicked us off with the preeminence and the, suf- the supremacy of Jesus. I, re- I re- just want to say I-, I missed being with you guys last week, too. I was uh, hoping I was planning to be here, but uh, Jacqueline's grandfather passed away, um, and we were back in Georgia for the service. And um, so uh, thanks for your prayers. And, um, uh, you know, uh, it was a great celebration, good time with family, and, uh, and, and so I'm glad to be back this week, and as we, really looking forward to this series as we focus on the Lordship of Jesus and how it informs and transforms everything in our lives. It's one thing to say that we believe these things, it, it's another thing when it takes root in our lives in a way that transforms us. Everything that we are and everything that we do flows out of this preeminence and supremacy of Jesus. If he truly is uh, the, the author, the creator, and the preserver of our life and our salvation, then he means everything to us. Then, then we get, to, we get to, to cling to this reality, this fact that Jesus is above all things, that he is, has authority over all things, and it changes everything about the way that we live. See, the reality is, even for most Christians, we live a lot of the time we live like we're practically atheists because we don't really live with a full awareness of what is different because of Christ's resurrection from the grave. What is different in life and in our world because of the promises and the hope that even in the darkest moments that he has overcome all of those things. But when we step out, of, when we step into faith in Christ, it's not just an intellectual uh, uh, agreement with a set of beliefs. It is stepping out of one way of life into another. It is stepping out of an identity, one identity, into another. It is a new life because of the Holy Spirit and his power at work in us. Now, this, I, I know a lot of people have different stories, right? You might have the radical transformation story. You can point to the day when God convicted you of your sin and you turned from, from your old way of life and, and God radically rescued you and you can point to that day. Others, it's over uh, the, uh, the course of time. But here's what I wanna say. There's a mystery to this new life that Paul talks about over and over again that it is both instantaneous and a process, Salvation comes to us in Jesus and his death and resurrection. And there's a moment of conversion. There's a, also a process of conversion. It doesn't happen automatically, immediately. Yes, the reality happens immediately, but our lives are transformed in a moment and over time. You get this like, like think, I mean, January is always like the time for resolutions. How many of you have already quit a resolution? It's like a week, you made it a week. You know, it feels like the time for, for you know, I was thinking about the gym, okay? And, and I did not go to the gym. I did not make a resolution. I wanna be clear. I, I used to see some of you in the gym. I don't go to the gym much anymore. Um, and it's, it's, I'm not gonna make a resolution. I'm just gonna do it eventually. Uh, but, but going to the gym is a good, is a good or being, let's say being physically fit, whatever that looks like, right? Um, it, it is a, a decision and a process that requires effort, that requires 
that we show up. And I would, I would, but I would argue that it's more than just showing up. I mean, it's not a hard argument to make. You could go to the gym every single day because there are a lot of people there that you like to talk to. And you can just kind of walk around the gym and talk to people and socialize. And if you're an extrovert, it might be a great place for you to go. And you could, go to, you could say you went to the gym every day. And you did not get one bit more. You might be relationally in better shape, but you didn't get physically fit at all. I, when I was in college, I played baseball in college. And this was before baseball players really, like they recommended that we actually didn't work out. It was some, they believed that it messed your flexibility. They're all, like everything in the world's changed, right? That's changed too. And so I can remember, but, but our coaches made us go to the weight room, but we didn't believe that it really most of, like half the team didn't believe that it did any good. And so you had to go to the, work, to the weight room and you had to check in and prove that you were there. But there was nobody actually watching to make sure that you were doing anything. So about half the guys, you know, are like faking like they're working out and they're checking the box. Let me just ask you who was getting stronger, right? It's not hard to figure out. And so my point is, spiritually, we could use the same kind of, we could use that as an analogy for our spiritual lives. It's possible, like you have to show up. You have to show up. Showing up is the first and the biggest decision that you make, obviously. But showing up is not necessarily enough. You have to engage, right? And so, listen to me. Showing up for worship, being in a life group, showing, going on a mission trip, serving, finding community, studying your Bible through the week, praying, all of those things are showing up and engaging, it's the next level, right? It's one thing to show up. It's another thing to engage. And that decision makes all of the difference. This is about effort. It's about effort. It's not luck. It's, not, it's also not perfection. It's not like you're ever getting it perfect. But effort makes the difference between where you are today and where you will be in the future. And this is true in our spiritual life. Will you, will you apply yourself? Will you be intentional Will you go beyond just showing up? Showing up is the first step. Will you go beyond just showing up in your spiritual life? Um, I like to say it this way. How many of you hope that this will be a good year? All of us hope this will be a good year. How many of you hope that at the end of this year, you'll be healthier than you are today? How many of you hope your relationships will be stronger how many of you hope that your kids will be will grow in all the emotionally, spiritually, physically all of you know all the end of the year we all want that. How many of you hope that the Georgia Bulldogs will be the national champions tomorrow? I had to do that for my I see some TCU fans over here. I had to do that for my wife who's a Georgia grad. Listen, hope is not a strategy. You can hope all you want. Hope is not a strategy. Some people believe that they're gonna be watching the game and that they're watching the game tomorrow night and hoping and cheering for their team is gonna make a difference. I'm sorry, but it's not gonna make any difference. <laughs> all the effort is happening on the field. All the effort is happening there and the effort, even the smallest effort, makes a huge difference. 
Uh, John Acuff is uh, an author and a teacher, and I love his stuff, and he does a lot with habits and kind of, and we had, he was one of our speakers at the, uh, the work as worship event, that workshop that we had uh, last year, and I ran across something that he said this week on Twitter, and it was just too good. I, I wanted to just share the video, so take a look. So you wanna know something good about effort and excuses that I figured out today. So it's raining outside didn't want to work out, didn't want to go run, didn't want to do any of the stuff that early in the week I was like, I should do that, that would be good for me, I'll love how I feel after, had a lot of excuses, but here's what I've learned, the smallest effort beats the biggest excuse, so your excuse might be gigantic, it might be massive, and you think, I need to come up with huge amounts of effort to overcome it, no, 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 you don't, the smallest effort beats the biggest excuse. A tiny bit of effort, writing 50 words on your book, walking half a mile in your neighborhood, decluttering one drawer, running one mile, calling one client. A tiny, tiny, tiny bit of effort beats the biggest excuse. A tiny effort beats the biggest excuse. You know that's true, don't you? I mean, when he said uncluttering one drawer, some of us like... It, it, it feels good just to take that first step, to make that first effort. And it's not that the tiny effort is, is necessarily enough, but the tiny effort begins a pattern, leads you to habits. And so in our spiritual lives, how do we apply this? What do we do? And, what, and, and I wanna be clear with you, okay? Because some of you grew up in very a legalistic kind of religious background where it was all about works, all about doing and, and don't do this and do this and all of that and that's what saved you. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm not talking about working and effort that will somehow make you good enough for God to accept you. Christ has done that work and his work on the cross is full and complete and sufficient for every one of the works that we've done to destroy the relationship between God and ourselves. That work is complete. But the work Paul talks about over and over again, the writers of scripture talk about working out that salvation. It means putting into practice the faith in what we believe and living into what happened instantaneously over the rest of our lives. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 says, let us therefore make every effort, every effort, every effort, every effort to enter into the, in, to enter that rest. It's, it's almost, it's an awkward phrase, really, isn't it? Effort to enter that rest, effort to enter that so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He's talking about false teachers and others who are leading people astray. And he says, let us make every effort, listen, listen, this is good, every effort to rely on Jesus Christ in everything that we do, to rest in him. That means we work out what Christ has done for us and in us, in our lives, on a day-to-day basis. By what? By showing up, by engaging in certain practices that do not in themselves make us right with God, but that help us live into the fullness of the identity that he gave us. So we turn to Colossians. We turn back to Colossians today in chapter 2. 
And Paul gives us this rich, there's two verses that are rich. I'm gonna really just live into these two verses. And I want you uh, to hear these words. If you have your Bibles, open them to Colossians 2 or your phone, the Bible app on your phone, and let's, let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, he says in Colossians 2.6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? So walk in him. Because you have received Jesus Christ, not earned him, okay? You have, because you have received Christ and what he has done for you, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In other words, if your identity has been transferred over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, if you are found in Christ and what he has done in you, then walk in him. Walk in him. Let the lordship of Christ be reflected in every area of your life. Be rooted in him. Walking in every every of our life uh, insinuates there's an effort, right? There's some effort, but the effort is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the way that I talk to people, the way that I treat them, the the way that I view all sorts of things like money and life and sex and politics and business and my dealings and my investments and my jokes and my relationships and everything, everything starts from the authority of Jesus and who he says my identity is. And if I truly rest in him and I'm not trying to prove myself anymore, then I'm going to walk that out in a different way. I'm going to live a different way because I'm not concerned about What other people say, I'm concerned about what Jesus says and what Jesus says about me. My identity has shifted. Another way to think about this at the New Year, there's an author, James Clear. I love what he writes about habits. And and one of the things he does is he says, you you can practice your mind, you know, because our minds are, are powerful. Our minds, and our minds lead us to very destructive things when we tell ourselves that we are something that we aren't, that Jesus has told us we have this identity, but we live into something else. And he says, you know, when, when you come to that place and, you know, you're, you're thinking like, what am I going to eat for lunch? Instead of saying, what do I eat for lunch? What if every time you said, what would a healthy person eat for lunch? Even if you have a friend who you know is really healthy and you say, what would my friend, whatever their name is, what would they eat for lunch? What would a healthy person eat for lunch? And we do this in our faith, okay? Because some of you, you're like, I'm a baby Christian. I don't know how to do all of this. And when we challenge or invite you into things, you're like, yeah, that's for the super spiritual, but I'm not there. What if, like, what if every time God prompted your heart and invited you into something that seemed a little too deep for you, said, what, what, would, what would the version of myself that God wants and, and has designed me to live out, what would that person do? And then we begin to walk into those things. How would that person speak to others? How would that person think about things? This means Jesus' supremacy over sin and death and darkness and powers and authorities and governments and creation. And and all of this matters because it forms and shapes us because he is our authority. Paul utilizes three different metaphors here. And I want to unpack them. He says rooted, built up and established, rooted, built up and established. How many of you grew up on the Gulf Coast, like Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, 
uh, Florida. So I grew up in the Panhandle of Florida, Panhandle of Florida. Not right on the coast, but pretty close to the coast. Okay, and, and you know if you grew up on the Gulf Coast, hurricane season, like we have five seasons, right? They're, they're hurricane season, just part of life, right? You just prepare and, and you know, and you, you, you kind of know what to do. And my cousins from the north never understood. And they would always like, how do you live through, you know, like it seems like it's just because what you see on the news is just so horrible. And it is sometimes, but I can remember, I can remember these hurricanes just blowing through Florida, like one after another, like it seemed like a couple years ago happened here. And, and I can remember, even as a kid, the destruction of one particular hurricane. Hurricane Kate hit our area uh, in the 80s, and it was really destructive. It was about, a, it was a category three, I think, but it hit really directly. And it was the first time I'd seen the destruction, the wind destruction. Harvey was a whole other thing with water destruction. But Ike, it was similar to Ike in some ways down along the coast where the wind did so much damage. And I can still remember, I lived in kind of, it was the deep south and we had, you know, it was one of the few areas in the country where you had, it was beautiful. We had pine and we had oak and we had palm trees all kind of mixed together. You see that, some of that in like Charleston, South Carolina, if you've been there, it's, it's a similar kind of feel. But these big trees, when the hurricane blew through, a lot of these big trees didn't make it. They didn't last. You know, they, they blew over. And I can still remember seeing the root system on these trees. Have you ever seen a, a, an oak tree that's been uh, blown over by a hurricane and the root system, when it, when it comes down, the roots come up and then they just kind of are propped up like this, right? And they're like 20 feet high. And you see what you never see that's underneath the ground. Now, what I learned in that season that stuck with me is a little tidbit. And maybe if, if you're into this, you would notice it, but maybe you don't. There are different types of oak trees, the oak trees we had in the area, there, there were several kinds of oak trees, but there were live oaks and then there were water oaks uh, in particular. And water oaks don't look a whole lot different than live oaks. They do look a little different. And if you know what to look for, you can tell the difference. But really, if you weren't familiar, you wouldn't notice a whole lot of difference between a live oak and a water oak. But you would when a hurricane comes through. Because all of a sudden, what you couldn't see above the ground, you can now see. And that is that, that water oaks have very shallow and much smaller root systems than live oaks. It has to be a really massive storm with really high winds to blow a big live oak over. But a water oak is a different story because water oaks' roots don't go down as deep. You wouldn't know this by looking at them. They don't go deep. They're not as big. They just kind of go horizontally like this, which means when they come up, they're even that much bigger, right? And so obviously, I think you can, you can make the connection here, right? Our lives, a lot of our lives are spent working on what's above ground, what other people see. But I wonder if when the storms hit, if, if we're more like an, a live oak with deep roots like Paul is talking about, or if we're more like the water oak, with shallow, weak roots, because all we focused on is the appearance that other people see above ground. When the storms come, you'll know. The other thing, though, about water oaks, because their roots go this way, then they gobble up a lot of the nutrients in the ground. And so nothing else can really grow or thrive around a water oak a little bit more so with a live oak. You could plant things around a live oak because the roots go more down. 
But water oaks just take all the nutrients. They're selfish. Friends, a lot of us, if we're only focused on what we look like, what ends up happening is not only does it destroy our lives and when we, when we enter a storm, we're toppled over because our faith is not deep and we're not rooted in Christ and we're worried about the wrong things. But what will happen, friends, I promise you, is when you have shallow roots, the other thing that will happen, is it will destroy the lives of those around you. It will suck, a selfish life will suck the, nurture, the nutrients up in a way that causes harm to other people who are trying to grow close to you. This is what Paul doesn't want them to experience. He says, rooted, built up, and established. And then he says, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul understood the relationship between the fortification of our faith and gratitude. Gratitude is is not about, though, the circumstances in our life. Gratitude or as Paul says elsewhere, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is easier said than it is done because circumstances can challenge us. But gratitude is a good indicator of our spiritual condition. A thankful life is always looking up in the storm, in the difficulty, when things don't go right, it's, it's where your eyes are. Do you look for the good things? Or are you obsessed with the bad things? You see, Paul doesn't tell us that we give thanks for everything. That would be ridiculous. It would be fake. It would not be sincere. And it would not be attractive. If you're one of those people, oh, things are going terrible, but I'm just happy about the terrible things in my life. You know, nobody, that's ridiculous. This is not what Paul is saying. Paul says give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. That means that no matter what the circumstances are, we can turn to God in thanksgiving. The song that we sang, even in the evil and the chaos, we can thank God that he will one day come again. You know, that can even be a healthy way of lament. God, it's chaotic right now, and I don't get it, and I'm even kind of mad about it, but thank you that you promised that you rule, and at the end of the day, you're gonna come and fix all this mess, and maybe that other person I want you to fix too. <laughs> okay, you figure out the line in there. <laughs> but this is, this is the heart of gratitude. You can have a sense of humor too, Right? The heart of gratitude looks to God and there's always, no matter how difficult the circumstances are, there's always something to give thanks for because God has rescued us. If, if the Bible is true, if scripture is true, if the gospel is true, which I believe it is, then we always have something to give thanks for. Because when you're in the darkness, just imagine if that was the normal, everyday, forever way of life. And it starts to make you look up and say, yeah, this is crummy right now, but I thank you, God, that this will not last forever. This too shall pass. And that in the end, you will reign on the earth. And so I trust you, and I put roots down, and I'll make every effort to live into the identity that you have given me. Paul says it in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from 
the dead. Friends, if we reflect, if we, if we, if we meditate on that verse, it should always make us thankful that God has raised us to life again. Let me say a quick word about baptism. Baptism marks us, separates us from the past. Baptism ushers us into a new community, a people of faith, not a perfect people, but the baptized community, the ecclesia, the gathering, the assembly, the church. This is not an organization. It's not an institution. This is the family of God. This is an organism. This is a, a movement for good that I talked about earlier that, that I'm praying that God will set us on fire as a people that we might proclaim the gospel in everything that we do together. And one of the ways we do that is in community, friends. The last few years have challenged us. And let's be honest, we've gotten lazy about some things. It's easy to stay home and do all sorts of things. But we need Christian community. We need to open God's word together. We need to pray together. We need to care for one another when things go wrong. We need, the church needs to be more than just a spectator sport where you come and show up. We need to engage. We need to put in the effort. And so I wanna challenge you, I wanna encourage you with a couple things. First of all, baptism, let me go back to that. Take your Connect card out, look at it. We've got a few different things on there now. There are ways for you to respond. You can take this to Connection Point. You can drop it in the box if you'd like. But I wanna ask you to consider this. If you've never been baptized, it's a mark. It's like a wedding band. It's an outward and visible sign of the reality of God's grace in your life. And so we would love to celebrate baptism with you. We would love for you to make that profession of faith and experience the joy of stepping from death to life. Secondly, live into that baptism by being in community. So there's a, a, a place there to mark. I'd like to join a group. Here's what I'm hoping for, okay, guys? I, I'm hoping that a, a lot of you can find others who are looking for a group. Um, I'm hoping, we're looking at some short-term studies in Lent that we're gonna start, where groups will form. We're planning for some of that. But the Lord just put it on my heart this morning. If there are, if there are a handful of you that wanna join together, we'll throw a new group together. We'll help you find others who are looking for community as well, who wanna grow. And, and so I wanna encourage you to mark either, either one, either next step. And then I wanna pray that this reality that we've talked about is true in you today, that it's not just wishful thinking, but that God takes root in your life. Because the smallest effort beats the biggest excuse, and this can be the year that we step fully, that we, we press in, that we, that we grow, and that the end of the year looks different than the beginning of the year because you have participated with God in the work that he wants to do in you. Will you bow your heads? That work might look different for some of us. It might be relationships that we're praying for. It might be a first time relationship with God that we're on the fence about. And maybe we've been going through the motions our whole life. We've been going to church and, and yet today's the day we say, this, is, this has got to be more than just something I intellectually acknowledge, but I wanna walk in it. For some of us, today the Spirit might be saying to you, you are like the water oak. You've paid so much attention to what's above ground. And 2023 is the year that you put roots down. 
roots into Christ, roots that will not give way when the winds blow, roots that will not starve all of those around you because of your selfish ways. Invite the Spirit to move in you. Say yes, it's that simple. That's the first small effort that's bigger than the biggest excuse. I want you to stay there for a minute because I think the Spirit may be telling me this. There's some of us that have a lot of excuses. The enemy has planted excuses in our hearts that keep us from saying yes. And God is inviting you to take a first simple step and just say yes. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means for you. I don't know what the next step is. God knows. But the first effort is just to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I want you to come into my heart. Yes, Lord, forgive me of my old ways. And yes, Lord, help me to live into the fullness of what you have for me. No more excuses from this day forward, Lord. My identity is in you. God, I pray that your spirit would guide and direct. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take those next steps, to say yes to you. In Jesus' name I pray.